Today's Wander Learn podcast is brought to you in part by Sawyer. The other part is my patrons at patreon.com. Do you spend a lot of time outside? And do you realize how much mosquitoes and ticks can ruin your camping, backpacking, gardening, or anything else you do outside? It can really ruin your life. What is the point of going outside if you got to hide in your tent all day long? Finally, there is a natural insect repellent that is safe for the whole family, including infants and those who are pregnant. And get this, it works better than DEET. That's right, it's safe on your skin and it's better than DEET. Sawyer's 20% Picaridin insect repellent comes as a spray or a lotion and lasts for 12 hours. It will not damage your plastics or synthetic coatings. So protect yourself and your whole family from those vector-borne diseases like the West Nile virus, Zika, Dengue fever, and even malaria. Don't let those irritating bugs ruin your day or your trip. That's Sawyer's 20% Picaridin insect repellent. Travel safely. Sawyer. They keep you outdoors. Welcome to the WanderLearn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. In 2018, my fellow traveler, who's been on the podcast several times, Gary Arndt, he told me, Francis, Bitcoin is the currency of the future and always will be. You know, Gary, I agree. But I want to answer seven questions related to that statement. So let's dive into those seven questions because I get asked frequently about questions about Bitcoin and its future. And will it ever be a currency? Will we pay things in Bitcoin and things like that? So let's deal with the first question, which is, was Bitcoin designed to be a major currency in the first place? When Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin, it's unclear if he ever expected it to be a country's currency. Instead, it seems that he envisioned it becoming digital gold. He saw it as a way to store wealth, make low-fee international transactions possible, and thirdly, to make money that cannot be confiscated or debased by some horrible government. Nakamoto thought that it's terrible that someone who works hard to save up $50,000 and keeps it in a bank will see the purchasing power of that $50,000 decline each year as inflation devours whatever lousy interest rate the bank pays. Bitcoin gives everyone the ability to store their savings in the ether. It provides a bank to the unbanked. It offers a place to store money that no government can confiscate. That's Bitcoin's true value. If Bitcoin never becomes a national currency, that doesn't mean that it has failed since that was never its goal. Number two, second question. When countries make their own national cryptocurrencies, won't that make Bitcoin obsolete? In the 2020s, several countries will create an official national blockchain-powered cryptocurrency. Some believe when Chinese or the American governments make their own cryptocurrencies that Bitcoin will vanish or devalue. This is an improbable. Whatever governments will create will have had the genius and innovation of a government. Yeah, that bad. Governments will use their cryptocurrencies to make it easy for them to tax people, track payments, of course, in the name of reducing criminal payments, 
they'll also want to use cryptocurrencies to reverse payments, to confiscate money, and to devalue the currency by printing more of it. In short, government cryptocurrencies will be everything Bitcoin is not. Paradoxically, when governments introduce such cryptocurrencies and mandate their use, they will inadvertently shine a spotlight on Bitcoin. People will wonder how Bitcoin compares to their national cryptocurrency. They will quickly realize that Bitcoin is better overall. As a result, some countries will make Bitcoin illegal. Indeed, many countries already have banned Bitcoin. Such bans will hurt Bitcoin and force Bitcoin to go underground in those countries. Countries ban Facebook and WhatsApp. Users use VPNs and other tricks to bypass the ban. I've been to many of those countries. Some countries ban the internet, but satellite-powered internet gets around that too. Likewise, Bitcoin users will find a way to get around bans. They're already doing that today. The third question. Which countries might adopt Bitcoin as their national currency? It is possible that a few small countries with worthless currencies could, in a fit of revolutionary rage, decide to abandon their hyperinflated currency and adopt Bitcoin instead. Several countries abandoned their currency for the United States dollar, for example, Ecuador, Panama, El Salvador, and Palau. All of them use the U.S. dollar. Others have adopted the euro without joining the eurozone, such as Kosovo and Montenegro. Therefore, when the dollar collapses, and it will at some point, then a few countries with shattered economies may give Bitcoin a shot. That's especially possible if the revolutionaries are young, tech-savvy leaders, and revolutionaries are often young. Big economies such as Russia, China, the United States, Canada, the UK, are too nationalistic, too proud, and too obsessed with controlling their economic sovereignty to abandon their currencies. Therefore, it's almost impossible to imagine any of them abandoning their currencies. Let's take a 60-second break to thank one of our sponsors, Icelab.co. This is the best time to move to the mountain town of your dreams. COVID-19 has changed how the world does business, and many people are now working remotely. So why not live in the mountain paradise you've always dreamed of? The Gunnison Valley in Colorado is that perfect place. Why? Because it's nestled between four spectacular mountain ranges. It has 750 miles of biking and hiking and crested buttes, world-class skiing. And then there's that award-winning school system. It's got it all. Now imagine waking up in your ultimate destination every morning. No traffic, no crowded trails, no more wishing you lived in the mountains. Work where you play in Gunnison Valley to start living your dream. Visit icelab.co. That's icelab.co. Number four. How would a Bitcoin-priced economy be like? Economists will study Bitcoin-denominated countries with great interest. We're used to inflation and a devaluating currency. 
For example, if you held $1 that was given to you in 1775, it would be worth one cent today. That's because the United States government has issued so many new dollars that dollars, like all currencies, have trended toward worthlessness. Although that produces downsides, we're used to it. In a Bitcoin-priced economy, you would get an annual pay cut instead of a pay raise. Your rent would decline. Valued in Bitcoins, your house would technically lose value. Are you confused? Okay, then imagine this. Your house was worth 100 Bitcoins in 2025. But in 2035, a decade later, it's worth only 50 Bitcoins. Nominally, your house has declined in value. However, in real terms, it may have doubled. Why? Because perhaps in 2035, 50 Bitcoins is worth four times more on the world currency markets than 100 Bitcoin was worth in 2025. Weird, right? However, that's exactly how a country that priced everything in Bitcoin would work. Of course, assuming that Bitcoin's appreciating against other currencies, which it has been doing for the last decade, ever since it was created. Every year, a Bitcoin-denominated economy would give workers an annual pay cut, not a raise. Once again, the nominal salary cut would actually be a raise in real terms. The only analogy that I can think of is the tech industry where Moore's law has made faster, better products cheaper with time. Number five, will Bitcoin be a reserve currency? In this century, Bitcoin will be a reserve currency for some countries. Currently, most countries hold reserves in United States dollars and gold. Many countries also hold the EU's euro, the Japanese yen, the China's ren, renminbi, and Switzerland's francs, so Swiss francs. Sovereign wealth funds not only hold gold and currencies, but often hold commodities such as petroleum. Many countries will realize that they ought to add Bitcoin to their list of holdings since it will have proven that it's better as a store of value than gold, currencies, and other commodities. Of course, they won't hold a large percentage of their reserves and the sovereign wealth funds in Bitcoin. Perhaps 1% of their portfolio will be in Bitcoin. And although that's a small bet in percentage terms, it would mean billions of dollars of new demand that would flood into the Bitcoin market, which has, effectively, a fixed supply. That would raise Bitcoin's price, which would then make more countries consider holding some of their reserves in Bitcoin, or at least upping their percentages. The sixth question is, will Bitcoin change its default unit of account? I think so, yes. Bitcoin needs to change its default unit of account to Satoshis or Bits if it wants to enter the mainstream. 
one Bitcoin is composed of one million Satoshis, just like one dollar is made up of 100 cents. As Bitcoins become more valuable, Satoshis should become the default unit. Right now, Bitcoin is at an annoying halfway point. For example, today, a cup of coffee costs about 0.0005 Bitcoin. And that just sounds weird. Who the hell prices like that? But that same cup of coffee is worth 50,000 Satoshis, which is the same value of 0.0005 Bitcoin. Remember, 1 million Satoshis in 1 Bitcoin. Now, if Bitcoin becomes 10 times more valuable than it is today, then that cup of coffee will be 5,000 Satoshis, which is a number that feels like some world currencies. I went to in many of the African countries, I would spend 5,000 of their currency in order to buy a cup of coffee, and it was like no big deal. Ideally, Bitcoin would become 100 times more valuable than it is today, so that one cup of coffee is only 500 Satoshis. And that sounds a bit better. I'll buy a coffee. How much? 500 Satoshis. Okay, that sounds better than 50,000 Satoshis. However, until then, Bitcoin is in this awkward state because one Bitcoin is too valuable and one Satoshi is too worthless. When Bitcoin first came out, Bitcoins were worth much less than a dollar. They weren't even worth a penny. In fact, one guy, a Hungarian guy, he bought two medium pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins. Today, those 10,000 Bitcoins would buy him a $100 million home. <laughs> One more thing about the denomination and how to, to categorize these things. There is a middle ground. They, they call them bits or something like that. In other words, instead of $100 million, there's like a weird middle ground to solve this problem so we don't have to wait so long for Bitcoin to become valuable. Anyway, so there might be a middle ground. Right now, it's just Bitcoin and Satoshi, and there's there's some proposals to have a coin uh, have, a, have a, a name for something in between Satoshi and Bitcoin, which would be nice because that would be convenient in today's world at the day's prices. All right, finally, question number seven. What is Bitcoin's fate? Gary Arts' prediction that Bitcoin will never be a currency will probably be correct especially if you're wondering if a major country will make Bitcoin their primary currency. At best, I would say maybe a small country might make Bitcoin its primary currency. However, that doesn't mean that Bitcoin will be a failure or a useless experiment. For hundreds of years now, no economy has used gold as their medium of exchange, but that doesn't make it worthless. I expect that in this decade, the 2020s, more hedge funds will buy a tiny bit of Bitcoin as a hedge. And similarly, a handful of countries may put 1% of their reserves into Bitcoin. And although these are small steps, because Bitcoin's supply is effectively fixed, such relatively small actions can cause a price surge. So that concludes the seven questions. 
I'll use this moment to look at my predictions, by the way, that I made at the end of 2019. I predicted that Bitcoin would be worth 10, 000, over $10,000 this year. At that moment, when I made the prediction, it was $7,300 approximately. Today, it's worth 11400 as I'm recording this. So far, it looks like it will end above 10000 this year. So, so far, so good. We'll see how it goes. People call me a lunatic today. They will call me a visionary in the future. Or a complete idiot. <laughs> this is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.